Welcome to Leaders and Legends of Online Learning, a podcast dedicated to the experts. Thank you for listening. Each episode will be learning from the world's leading thinkers and practitioners in online learning and linking to ideas relevant to online teaching, working with online learners, and digital education. You can listen to the experts and check their profiles and link to some of their work on our website, www.onlinelearninglegends.com. I'm Mark Nichols, the interviewer in this episode. You'll meet Emeritus Professor Mike Sharples in this episode. Mike has recently retired but maintains an active contribution in education futures, drawing on his incredible career based on educational technology, human-centered design, and sound teaching and learning. This podcast is sponsored by the International Council for Open and Distance Education, ICDE, the leading global membership organization working towards bringing inclusive, quality education to all. By joining the ICDE Global Network of Flexible and Distance Learning, you can help transform the world through inclusive education. Become a member or find out more by visiting www.icde.org. I'm talking with Emeritus Professor Mike Sharples, recently retired educator and consultant with the Institute of Educational Technology, Open University, UK. Mike has an incredible academic background with over 300 publications based on a long-time career with AI and educational technology. Mike might be best known popularly for the Innovating Pedagogy Annual Reports and as Academic Lead for FutureLearn. There is much, much more I could say here, but for now, Mike, it is great to be talking with you. It's very good to be talking with you and looking forward to it. Great, Mike. Can we start with a brief overview of your career and publications? Well, I started um, with a degree in computer science and then worked at the AI department of Edinburgh University. Uh, My PhD was around, would you believe, generative AI. (laughs) So the work that I did was with children using uh, programs that I developed myself to explore language. Uh, So the title of my PhD was Cognition, Computers and Creative Writing. Mm. And then from there, I went to COGS, Cognitive and Computing Sciences in Sussex, which was a fascinating um, department at that time of Sussex University that brought together AI researchers, linguists, philosophers, neuroscientists. And that was in the early 1990s. Then I went to Birmingham, um, funded by Kodak, to explore education technology, particularly mobile um, learning. So that's where I did my main research into mobile learning. Mm. At Nottingham University, I led the Learning Sciences Research Institute, which was aiming to take the science of learning into classrooms. And then most recently at the Open University, where I been exploring massive scale education technology. So that's a very brief rundown of my career. Mm-hmm. Terrifically brief, given the breadth of the work that you've done. Mm-hmm. So, Mike, I think the educational world's only really picked up on uh, AI, for example, over the last possibly year. Uh, but you've got quite deep roots in it. Uh, what, what, how have you seen those changes take place over the years? I mean, what, was this year's release of OpenAI ChatGPT a real leap forward? Uh, did, were you surprised by it? Um, in a sense, yes, I was surprised by it because... What it did was take something that had been bubbling under for a long time and show a breakthrough. I think there's quite a lot of similarity with the development of the World Wide Web. Mm. So with the web, you know, there was research that was going on in um, developing 
multimedia, interactive systems. And then suddenly there was a breakthrough at CERN. It was the same with generative AI breakthrough with Google, with what's called transformer AI systems, Mm. and then the company OpenAI. And then like the web, uh, big companies developed tools, uh, then became a hugely controversial area. And where I think it's going is in the same way as the web, towards more social systems. So I think we're going to see, you know, this is not the end by any means of AI. Mm. Um, It's just the beginning. And I think it's going to be embedded into the everyday tools we use and then moving on to uh, developing social AI systems with AI technology interacting with each other and interacting with groups of humans. So it was a breakthrough, but it's by no means the end. It's not the, the, final, um, the final offering, the final opportunity. Mm. And like the web, I think we need to put guardrails in place very quickly but also we need to explore how it can be used, particularly for creativity. You know, that's, to me, the exciting area of AI, that it's a tool for creativity. Mm, Absolutely. Well, Mike, across your 300-plus publications, there's an incredible breadth of attention. Can you just uh, perhaps highlight some of those themes across your research and some of the major lessons that might be pertinent for us still today? Well, the early theme was around... um, AI and creativity. Uh, And I explore particularly creative writing, so how technology can assist uh, and enable people not just to write more creatively, but to understand the process of creativity in writing. Mm. Uh, And I have a PhD student of mine, um, Rafael Perez, who went on to be a professor in Mexico and has spent his entire career exploring how you can use AI to enable creativity, particularly creativity in writing. So that was an early one. And then at Sussex, um, I explored very much human-centered design of technology. Mm. Uh, So rather than just seeing users as assistants in design, so uh, trying to develop uh, user experience, user interfaces, trying to develop a human-centered approach to AI where we engage with deep understanding of how people learn, how people create, and use that to design new technology and new interactions. Mm. And then at Birmingham, I was putting some of that into uh, effect with mobile technologies. Mm. So early 2000s, um, mobile computers, PDAs, handheld devices were suddenly coming onto the scene. And I really wanted to explore how you could do human-centered design of technology for learning that was personal and individualized. And then I realized that um, there is a science of learning. And at Nottingham, the Learning Sciences Research Institute, that that science of learning could also feed into the human-centered design of technology. And then the final piece of that jigsaw was how you could do that at scale. So rather than just develop technology for an individual classroom, how could you scale that up to hundreds or thousands, or in the case of FutureLearn, millions of learners? And that was the final piece and the most exciting piece of how to do that human-centered design of technology for learning at scale. Mm. So you brought together multiple pieces. Uh, there's the educational technology, there's the learning science, uh, there's a human-centered interface, uh, there's the scalability. 
Tell us a bit more about how all that came together for you at FutureLearn, because it does seem to be that those four themes are still very, very relevant for education today. I was incredibly lucky because I was at the Open University and I was hearing about these MOOC, Massive Open Online Course Platforms, so edX and Coursera, and there wasn't one in Europe. And at that time, um, the education minister went to uh, the US, went to Stanford, came back uh, full of enthusiasm and with the idea that the UK should develop its own MOOC platform. And he went to to the Open University, where I was. And at that time, Martin Bean, um, the vice chancellor of the Open University, he'd come from Microsoft. And so he had an understanding of technology at scale uh, and how you could develop and exploit a new technology. Mm. And he realized that if we were going to develop a UK platform for uh, massive open online courses, we needed to do it in a different way. We couldn't just copy the Americans. Uh, And also we needed to set up a separate company. Open University has got lots of strengths, but... Rapid innovation isn't one of them. Mm, mm. So he set up a separate company called FutureLearn, and he asked me to lead a team from the OU to put our understanding of good practices in teaching and learning online into the design of the FutureLearn platform. And so it was an incredibly exciting few months when we were developing a new platform from scratch based on good pedagogy, uh, effective methods of teaching and learning. And so I was able to work with a small team of developers and just talking with them what sorts of theories of learning should we employ. And to cut a long story short, we explored a number of different theories and methods and decided on learning as conversation. Mm. So the idea coming from Gordon Pask and others that learning is a conversational process We converse with ourselves as we try to understand our own thinking, and we converse with others, including technology. We can converse with other humans, with teachers, and with technologies. Mm. And that became the basis, the rationale for the design of the FutureLearn platform. And it worked. Um, So one of the very early decisions was rather than sending students, learners off to a separate forum where you discussed about the course, we embedded the conversations, the discussions into every piece of teaching and learning on the platform. But we made many other decisions, design decisions very early on, based on that pedagogy of learning as conversation. So it was very much a pedagogy-informed learning platform at scale, and it worked. Um, There are over 10 million people now who've uh, registered with FutureLearn, who've learned online, And it's been a successful um, learning platform that was distinctively different from the sort of lecture-based MOOC platforms of edX and Coursera. Yeah, it was a real breakthrough, wasn't it? Actually bringing those discussion forums to the page uh, rather than taking learners out somewhere else. I I guess that's the human-centered design coming in as well uh, from, from your work. Yes, and it wasn't just, you know, that was just one example. There are many other examples the way in which we design what we call steps, sort of Lego block approach, um, our methods of assessment. You know, there are many other design decisions. Once you have an understanding of what the underlying pedagogy is, what the underlying approach to teaching and learning is, a lot of those technical design decisions then fall out from that. Mm. 
So, Mike, I understand there are also two new books about to come out. Uh, can you tell us a bit about those? Yes, they've just been published. Um, so both of them are on AI and creativity. The first one is called Story Machines, How Computers Have Become Creative Writers. And it's a fascinating history of um, story generation through the ages, going back to the Middle Ages through a Victorian clockwork story generator, a poetry generator, through to um, computers and uh, generative AI. And the other one is a more technical book called An Introduction to Narrative Generators, which gets inside what this new technology of uh, AI-based story generators and narrative generators can do. So uh, it's, they're very much up to date, and I'm you know, excited still to be um, involved in AI and education after all these years. Mm, excellent. Very timely publications with so much interest now in AI, uh, and also a need to harness it appropriately for education. Well, Mike, we're coming up to the end of 2023. Uh, we are now, well, I guess, broadly post-COVID. Uh, I think we'll be living with it uh, for the rest of our, our lives. But your observations about online learning and education at the present time, um, clearly there's been a lot of online activity. There seems to be a bit of a cluster now of new technologies coming through. People are now very familiar with them. What are your observations? What are your impressions about where online learning currently sits? Okay. Um, I think you know, there's particularly an obsession at the moment with personalized learning. And that, you know, that's not new. I mean, in the 1930s, Sidney Pressey developed uh, a machine for personalised um, assessment and personalised learning. Mm. And it's been resurrected with each new technology, whether it's teaching machines or computers or mobile devices and now AI. And this notion that you could have a personalised tutor or a personalised assistant, mm. that can take you so far, but... Learning is essentially social, um, and that there is much more we can do as a learner and as a teacher when we collaborate. Mm, mm. And um, there is good evidence for many years now that if learners work together with shared goals, with team learning, with using methods such as teach back, then uh, you can progress further as a learner. Um, because you have the opportunity to share and to calibrate your knowledge with other learners. So I think personalised learning is one piece in the jigsaw, but it's not the only one. Mm. And I do think that there is a, a plethora of companies now that are jumping onto this um, AI-enhanced education bandwagon. Mm. Mm. And they're focusing very much on how do you provide a personalised tutor with no understanding at all about good pedagogy, what's effective teaching and learning. Mm. Um, it's very much technology-led at the moment. You know, there's a shiny new technology that they're now trying to uh, embed into teaching systems. Mm. And that's understandable, but we really need now to be much more discriminating about how we deploy AI, but also other um, VR uh, AR technology, augmented reality technology. Yeah. And it, I would argue that this needs to be pedagogy-led, that um, education technologists, learning scientists have you know, 40, 50 years of experience on what makes good education. Mm. And we need to work with the startups and the bigger AI companies and tech companies on saying we have expertise in education technology and the learning sciences. Let's work together to develop more informed, 
more human-centered and more learning-centered um, systems, not just take the shiny new technology and try to exploit it for education. So, Mike, uh, given your, your history with FutureLearn, you've, you've clearly thought about education as a system of provision, uh, bringing together the technology, the uh, human-centered interface, the pedagogy. If you had that same opportunity today to set up a new online system, I'm going going a bit off script here, but I'm really curious about your answer. What would be the important components? How would you go about it? What would be the key features that we would see? Well, again, I would start from the pedagogy. Mm. So what do we know now about good ways to teach and learn? And um, there are some fundamental aspects such as uh, spaced learning so that uh, rather than trying to uh, teach in a block, a block of time, um, that being able to space that out. Um, learning is a social process that we learn better when we learn with other people, mm -hmm. uh, providing rapid feedback, uh, allowing learners to set their own goals and to help them to manage their own learning. Um, so these are some of the sort of fundamental building blocks I would start with. Mm. And then say, well, okay, if, if all of that is good evidence-based um, pedagogy, then how can we then use that to um, enable uh, better teaching and learning with the available technology? So with, with AI, for example, I think we're moving towards an era of social AI, where AI systems interact with each other. That's an exciting opportunity. It's scary, but it's also an exciting opportunity to develop AI-enhanced collaborative learning. So I would really like to see you know, the learning scientists coming into that space to say, what does it mean to have AI-enhanced social learning? Mm -hmm. So uh, that's, that's what I would do if I were starting out now, work with the, the companies to say, we know about the science of learning, let's work together. Mm, great. It must have been an incredible career, Mike. Uh, you would have seen technology advance just so uh, incredibly over the time that you've been an academic. Uh, you would have seen the possibilities just explode. Um, I'm just quite inspired by the way in which you try and capture those and bring them back down to the human-centered element and also the, the just the sound pedagogy. How do we learn from all of this? I've been looking forward to this question given the breadth of your expertise. The research you'd most like to see, uh, if you were to open up a journal or uh, click on a web link and find the perfect piece of research, what would it look like? What would it consist of? I, I guess two. I mean, one, really trying to understand, um, as, as I said before, social learning with technology. So getting away from just personalized provision, but what um, can technology do to enable effective collaborative, team-based, um, conversational learning. Mm. I'd really like to see a piece of design-based research. So, uh, you know, it's another area that has been fascinating, this notion of design-based research, where you can carry out design studies uh, and do rapid iteration in terms of improving the quality of um, both technology and uh, understanding. So I'd really like to see a piece of design-based research on social learning with AI. Mm. And I guess the other one is around new methods of assessment. Mm. Um, you know, we've been stuck in you know, the, the standard essay, uh, the multiple choice questions for 100 years now for multiple choice. Mm. We've got an opportunity and a need to break out of that. So I'd really like to see research on effective assessment for learning and there are whole 
raft of possibilities. So peer assessment, uh, what's called comparative judgment, where instead of marking out of 100, you do comparisons of um, assignments, for instance, and you can do peer-based comparative judgment. Mm. There are many new ways of assessment, dynamic assessment, stealth assessment, uh, where assessment is embedded into games and activities. So I'd really like to also see um, design-based research into new methods of assessment um, online. Mm. Now, Mike, you've recently retired. Um, I'm not sure if that means you're not doing any more research yourself, but what, what, <laughs> <laughs> what, what are some of the elements you're still curious about, that you're still writing about, uh, that you're still investigating? I'm so, so I'm not doing fundamental research myself. Thank goodness I'm not writing grant proposals anymore because <laughs> that's a thankless task. Yeah. But what I'm doing, I've always been interested in um, exploring the future. So I have the opportunity now to write more opinion pieces. So I'm very early on, nearly two years ago now, wrote an opinion piece about AI in education and how you could develop um, new AI-enabled pedagogies. I've written a piece recently about social AI, that saying as AI becomes social, what are the implications for education? So my research is now at the moment is around trying to envision what a future of technology-enhanced education will be, and to say, okay, what we know about pedagogy, what we know about technology, how can we bring those together? So it's much more, it's more speculative, more opinion-based, but I hope um, it might be more trend-setting um, research that I'm doing. And I have the luxury of being able to um, now focus on research rather than administration and grant proposal writing, and it's a huge <laughs> liberation. <laughs> Great. Uh, look, I'm sure it's going to be fascinating work, particularly drawing on your depth of experience and, and research. Mike, uh, just to close, two people you'd recommend as leaders or legends of online learning, uh, one whose work or perspective is significantly influencing you, and one who you think otherwise might have an important perspective to share. Okay. I mean, two I would guess. One is Chikit Louie, um, who was at uh, NIE, National Institute of Education in Singapore, and has now recently moved to the Education University in Hong Kong. Um, he has been very influential in taking science of learning into the classroom, mm. into uh, primary classrooms. Uh, and he's worked in the area of seamless learning, for example. So how you can use personal and mobile learning to learn across different contexts. Uh, and so he's developed that notion of seamless learning. And now he has new opportunities, having moved to Hong Kong, to really uh, explore how some of these Deep ideas in the science of learning can be put into practice. So Chikit Louie. Mm, mm. The other, I guess, is Rose Luckin, um, who is a colleague of mine at Sussex uh, and has now uh, gone on to be Professor of Learning-Centred Design at the Institute of Education in London. Mm. Uh, she's a founder of Educate, uh, which is uh, an organisation that works with companies, particularly around AI. So she's very much at the intersection between industry and um, new developments in education technology. Uh, and so those two in particular, uh, one in terms of the sort of learning sciences foundation, the other in terms of the exploitation and the interaction between industry and education technology, those are the two I would um, recommend. They're both great people and uh, 
great researchers, but also great practitioners. Mm, excellent. The perfect plans. Well, Mike, you are the very embodiment of a leader in legend of online learning. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure taking part. I've really enjoyed talking with you. Thanks, Mark. You can learn more about Mike and his work from our website. That concludes this episode. Be sure to go to our website, www.onlinelearninglegends.com, to follow up on this episode's guest. You'll also find links to others whose ideas continue to inspire and teach online learning professionals, and you can subscribe to future interviews. If you know of a leader or legend we've not yet talked to, please do drop us a line at onlinelearninglegends at gmail.com.